0: Hey, welcome to Element City Church. It is great to worship together. I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, and uh, tonight, as they were saying, we're launching into a new series, and so if you didn't wear a jersey, too bad. Oh well. So, um, you're welcome to uh, next week, just reminding you it's Mother's Day next week. Gents, that is your friendly reminder. So, Mother's Day next week, everything's coming up roses, you won't wanna miss it, be here. And we are excited about where we're going. Now, how many of you uh, were fans of math when you were in school? Yeah. How many of you were fans of English? Yes, my English people. Yes, there's no rules in English, it's awesome. How many of you, um, like, you're fans of different flavors of EG's on the particular months? Anyone here for May, Orange Dream? Come on, come on, okay. So there's different fanships of things that go on, there's different things that maybe you're, how many of you, like, you prefer the Starbucks coffee? whoa. Let's not air that, they don't sponsor us. Okay, how about Dunkin' Donuts? You like Dunkin' Donuts better? Oh, okay, well, hey, there you go, East Coast people. Um, So, lots of different things that you're fans of. Maybe turn to your neighborhood, the two, three people right around you, and here's what I want you to share. Your favorite sports team, if you don't have one, make one up. The Pirates would be a good choice. Just, okay, fine, make up your own. So turn to them, you got 30 seconds. Favorite team, favorite player, whatever it may be, whatever league it may be in, go. 30 seconds, talk, talk, talk. Tell your neighbor, what's one of your favorite teams? All right, talking, 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 done, okay. So you had plenty of time there in that 30 seconds to share a little bit of your fanship and the things that you support. How many of you have been fans of your team since you were a kid? Okay, how many of you like, just moved here and you're like, oh, other people root for it? No, I guess I'll root for it too. Okay, so th- not, it's different levels, different strokes, different folks, and, and where we're going in this series is looking at this idea of fanship and in a spiritual development. Understanding, does God look for fans or does he look for something more? And if you've just looked at the title of this, you can kind of begin to guess where we're going. But I want you to kind of get on a journey with me, and, and we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at this, and Brian's going to teach one of these sections we're going to look at this idea of fanship or followership, and looking at this notion through the scriptures, What? Jesus is actually calling us to, and to get there, I want you to think back to your very first job. Not the one that paid you by check or direct deposit, but your first job like in your family, okay? Maybe you had a family job, some chores, duties that you had to go be a part. Maybe you even kinda branched out and you did, like you went around and were kinda like weeding yards. Anyone weed yards to make money? Like cash became your friend and you're like, whoa, this is awesome. Andrew Jackson, $20, it's amazing, and that's changing, okay? So, there are lots of crazy things that you would do. How many of you ever, anyone ever have a lemonade stand? Really, anyone? Did you try it? Okay, did it work? You know, I've seen some lemonade stands where, like, the one little girl who has the lemonade stand and gets her dad to kind of build the the rickety kind of stand that's there, the the lemonade, you know, 50 cents for a glass. And she's out there one day, and, like, a couple people stop. And so she's like, well, I'm going to try it again tomorrow. And so she goes back out tomorrow, and then the next day, and then the next day. And it kind of takes off in her neighborhood. Maybe she's going door to door, handing out flyers, letting people know every Saturday we do this. And it kind of takes off. And then she gets the phone call that it's to come to the school carnival, right? And she gets to set up her her lemonade stand there at the carnival, and she just enjoys that, and then that kind of takes off a little bit, and people start talking, and she gets invited to other little festivals and art festivals and things that she's going to, and pretty soon, like, she's got to, like, do special orders of lemons. Like, there's, like, a lot of professionalism that's going into what started off as this hobby, and, like, she's got to have spreadsheets and figure out all expenses of everything that's going, and... She just goes and goes and goes, and then finally it comes to a point of a decision moment, right? I- am I going to continue this? Am I going to hire employees? I- is this going to go to a whole nother level of lemonade stands? She's got to come to this place of making a decision. Some of you are parents. You're like, man, I wish that was my kid. My kid likes bed sheets, not spreadsheets. Just, just Whatever you may be, it's a decision moment for her, right? And the truth is you know that moment. You know that moment, that moment where you're deciding, okay, is this just a hobby or is this something I'm actually going to put a lot more effort into? Is it going to take on to something more? Is this, am I just test driving this relationship or test driving this opportunity or am I going to really go for it and invest into it, put my heart behind it? We understand this from a business point of view. We also really understand it from a relational standpoint and the relationships that we have. We we call it the DTR, right? You ever had a DTR? If you've had one, you'll remember. The DTRs, the conversation that you have where it says, let's define this relationship, right? You've been dating for a while and all of a sudden it's the DTR. Hey, are we just test driving this thing or are, are we going somewhere with this? Are we, let's define this relationship relationship. And in that moment, you're doing assessment. You're kind of looking back over there, the past, and you're kind of forecasting into the future. And you're giving a lot of thought and contemplation to it. And then you're making decisions. And in essence, what this series is about, in in a bottom line, in a sentence, this is about a spiritual DTR. Now, I know for some of you, you got dragged here by someone and you got dragged in here and you're sitting here out of spite and you don't want to be here and, and I'm sorry that you're here. I hope that somewhere along the line in this conversation and in worship that God touches your heart in a way that you go, okay, that wasn't all that bad. We're not going to embarrass you or do anything. Maybe you've been coming to church for just a little bit and this whole idea of the preacher dude talking about like, defining the relationship with Jesus and God, and oh, I'm not ready for that. Fine, sit back. Be our guest. For a lot of us, we've been walking with Jesus for a while. And in essence, every good, healthy relationship has to have DTRs from time to time, don't they? You know this to be true. And it's the same way spiritually. And so in essence, what we're gonna do is kinda look at a couple key passages tonight that Jesus, in a way, kinda lays out a spiritual DTR to some of his early Followers, His disciples, the 12 disciples that we know about from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and also those that would be called the followers or the disciples of Jesus. Those were kind of the crowds, the outskirts of people. And I want to look at these two passages and then a couple key questions. And this week, my invitation for you is just simply along with me, wrestle with this for your own self. Own it for your own self. And just go on a journey to figure out where are you when it comes to your spiritual followership or fanship or relationship with Jesus. Because he's gonna challenge and he's gonna ask for some different things. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter nine. We're gonna be there. If you're on U version, you can go there. Uh, all the notes and everything are in Luke chapter nine and they're on you version. So in Luke chapter nine, Jesus is having this moment of prayer. He's surrounded by his 12 disciples. That's the setting, okay? So he's got this moment of prayer and then he kind of snaps out of this moment of prayer and he turns to his disciples and he asks them two questions. They're kind of challenging questions, but here's the first question that he asks. He turns to them once Jesus was praying. In private, disciples were there and he asked them, hey, who do the crowds say I am? Who do the crowds, who do the people, you know, all those people that have been hanging around and showing up at places when I show up, who do they say I am? And so the disciples answer, well, these are kind of the things we're hearing from people. And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others say that you're one of the prophets from old that have come back. And then Jesus asked them, but what about you? To his 12 disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Friends, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, especially if you're just starting out, I believe this is the most penetrating question in the Bible, period. Hands done, no seconds. There's nothing even close to this. Who you say Jesus is matters to the, the ultimate. How you answer this question matters. Who do you say I am, Jesus asked, and I bet there was a long pause. See, this is probably a year and a half into following Jesus, there's been lots of cool things, lots of healings, lots of great teachings, lots of miracles that they've seen, but they probably heard a lot of people questioning. There's been a lot of pressure from the religious elite around them. I bet even in their own selves, those 12 disciples are are wrestling yeah, yeah, who are you? Who are you really? And I bet they're wrestling with that. And then Peter, Peter speaks up and he says, you're the Messiah, you're God's son, you're the promised one that he said he was, spe- he was sending, that's who you are, Jesus. And then Jesus doesn't celebrate that, here's what he says, shh, be real quiet about that, okay? Don't tell anybody. Because I think I always find that odd. I don't know if you find that odd when I was reading through here. Like if Jesus was, he is the son of God and if someone said, hey, you are the son of God, like I think I would tell people like, yeah, that's it. You got it. You nailed it. But he's telling them to be quiet. Why? Because this whole time, what we're gonna see in this next passage is that the people are beginning to see this through a military lens, beginning to see that Jesus' power and influence is beginning to sway and they want him to take over. Remember, they're in captivity. They want him to overthrow. They have a plan in mind of how this is gonna play out and Jesus' plan is totally different. In fact, he begins to give behind the curtain peek right here, he goes on, he reads this. This is what it says in verse 23, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. And he said, here's how this is gonna play out. See, I know you're already thinking you've got this plan played out, but here's how this is really gonna play out. The son of man must suffer many things, and he will be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he will be killed. And on the third day, he will rise again. I'm sure that went right over their head in the moment, because we know later on that's not the plan they were thinking it was gonna happen. I'm sure they heard that in a moment. We're like, that's not a good plan, Jesus. We got a better plan. He goes on. Then he said to him, said to them gathered there. Maybe the key verse for this whole series. Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my follower, Jesus is saying, they must deny themselves. They must take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. That seems pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, must take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, well, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me, then you'll save it. What does it profit, or what good is it to someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul, Jesus says? What if you get everything that you ever wanted and yet you miss the very thing that you need? That's what Jesus is saying. What if you get it all and yet you miss the very thing that you need the most? See, this has always been about a relationship with Jesus, not a religious pursuit of checking off a list of things that you have to do to work your way to God. There isn't enough things that you can do to work your way to a perfect and holy God. But, that's why Jesus' plan is better than your plan. Because he put in motion. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? See, how you answer that question matters. Jesus goes on, if you wanna be my follower, then you've gotta learn to deny yourself. Which means it's not always about you. And that's hard for Americans. True? That's difficult, that's a challenge. There's nothing in that statement that we go, oh, that's awesome. We don't like that. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. It's this great challenge that goes on. Jesus is challenging us to move past a casual participation or convenience in our relationship with God to something deeper and something more, something about devotion and commitment. This isn't about you trying to work harder to have a relationship with God. But this is about you and I coming to a place to say, it's not all about me. And that's challenge in our culture, friends. Jesus is shooting you straight. See, some of you might hear these words and and your feathers kind of get ruffled a little bit. You're like, I I don't know if I like that. I kind of like the situation I got with Jesus. Like, Jesus and I were cool. Like I'll show up once a week sing a little bit, give a little money, we're good. And Jesus to say, well, that's what fans do. They show up to the game, cheer a little bit, drop a little money on nachos, and they go on throughout their day. And maybe Jesus wants a little bit more. Maybe the scriptures are actually calling us to something more. Maybe Jesus is actually having this DTR because he's gonna have it often with you, with me, to challenge us, to say, hey, let's define this relationship. Where are we at? And Jesus is asking maybe that question to you tonight, to me. Where are we at? Because, see, I'm all in with you I just want to know if you're all in. See, if we were to ask it a different way, maybe Jesus would simply say, hey, are you a fan of me? Or are you a follower of me? See, fans celebrate. (laughs) And they get behind and they cheer. But a follower, they live sold out to a cause of Christ. And they're willing to sacrifice for it. And they know it's not all about them all the time. It doesn't mean that their needs don't get met. It doesn't mean that their needs don't get attention. It just means it's not always about them and their experience. See, the word, when you define the word fan, is defined like this, an enthusiastic admirer. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer. Well, aren't we all fans? Aren't we all followers? I mean, we're here, right? That's, I showed up tonight. Dude, I mean, come on, cut me some slack, I'm here. I'm not like one of those other people who aren't here. Well, an enthusiastic admirer. Sometimes make it to the game, sometimes don't. This isn't about attendance thing. This is about a heart thing. Where are you at in that? See, what fans do and what followers do may be a little bit different. The question for our generation, the question for the Church of America of our country, of our city, and of us, is have we settled into becoming fans of Jesus instead of followers of Jesus? See, we can show up, we can assess and evaluate and give the sermon a thumbs up or a thumbs down or I like that worship set or I didn't, I didn't know the words, I, we can have a lot of criteria. Nothing wrong with those questions. But if it's always only about those questions? See, fans focus on celebrating Jesus. Followers focus on advancing the mission and the cause of Christ, of knowing Jesus and making him known. That's where, the, that's where their heart focus is at. And it's not always about their preferences. It's about a mission. And am I all in on that mission? Am I just an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus or am I something more? See, I understand that we're all fans in some sense of Jesus. Me too. Because sometimes when it's the difficult things and Jesus is challenging me about, hey, are are you gonna really let go of that bitterness? You're gonna keep carrying that around? Hey. Here's what I've said about your resources and about how you're to invest those and here's the opportunity I'm giving you to partner with me. Are you going to hang on to that? All of that? Well, Jesus, well, you don't understand. That person hurt me so bad. I get to hold on to that bitterness. It's, it's like my lucky coin and you can't take that from me. And Jesus might say, you're right. I'm not going to take it from you. But I'm going to ask Yeah, I'm not gonna take your money, but I'm gonna ask that you would invest your resources to a greater plan than just the plan you're working on. See, I've got a vision and a mission that's going on around this world, and and would you be into it? See, Jesus, I think, is constantly coming to us individually, to his church in this United States. And friends, I wonder sometimes, if we can have auditoriums full in stadiums full of people who are fans of Jesus but who haven't gotten to the place of being a sold out follower of Jesus where they're letting him change and navigate and direct their life. Maybe the two questions that we wrestle with tonight is simply this. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why'd you show up tonight? Is it because you got to sleep in this morning and you got to do church at night? That's pretty cool. Is it because you like the worship, because like your kids are connecting somewhere? Is it because of some of the benefits for you? And there's nothing wrong with those. Those are good things, and we, I hope you get those. We want those for you. But is there a bigger why that drives your relationship with Jesus? Is it just about the benefits that you get? Is it about being a part of something different? See, the other passage that we look at is in John chapter six, and I wanna encourage you to read it this week. It's a long passage. I'm only gonna touch on the beginning and the end. In the beginning, Jesus (laughs) has this group of people and there's crowds, just massive crowds following and showing up to Jesus. And there's things that are unfolding around him and basically from time to time, this is what it says, verse one, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And Jesus got to thinking, people are showing up for the show. See, when you read through the Gospels, Jesus never shooed crowds away He wasn't opposed to crowds. But I don't think Jesus ever looked for fans. In fact, in John chapter six, what begins to unfold is the people come and they're hungry, right? And this is one of the greatest miracles you'll see is 5,000 men that we know, many more women and children. Jesus takes five loaves and and a couple fish and he feeds this whole entire crowd. Just the feeding of the 5,000, this multitude, probably closer to 15,000 people there and he takes a boy's Lunchable, and he feeds all these people. And he goes up to a mountainside, tells the disciples to go across. I mean, that's a miracle, right? And the wind comes up, and the, the disciples are stuck in the Sea of Galilee, and he comes walking on the water. Get out, are you kidding me? Walking on the water to them. Then he gets in the boat, and they make it to the other side, feeding 15,000 people. You ever do that? Me neither walking on water, you ever do that? Me neither. Gets to the other side, and the crowds discover he's there. And the crowds gather around, all the fans gather around, and Jesus proceeds to preach the hardest sermon he'd ever preached. He said, you're here for bread, because I fed you. Cool trick, huh? I'm the bread of life. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. Whoa, what? I was here for bread. And Jesus goes on and begins unpacking what that means. What he's doing is he's setting up what's gonna happen. Jesus giving up his life, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of your sins, the brokenness you can't do anything about, trying to get to a perfect and holy God that you can't figure out a way to get there, but he's gonna make a way for that to happen. And he begins preaching and teaching one of the most difficult, challenging passages you'll read in the Bible, in John chapter six. And in verse 66, here's what you read. From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Huge crowds, fans. And Jesus preaches challenging. Hey, you want to be a part of my movement? You've got to deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross, and you've got to follow me where I'm going, not where you think I'm going. And from that time on, many people left and didn't follow so much so I think the heartache in Jesus he turns to his 12 disciples. The guys have been with him for the last two years probably. And he asks this heart penetrating question. You can read it yourself. He says are you going to leave too? Can you imagine that question coming out of your Savior's mouth to you? Are you going to bail too? And Peter God bless Peter He stands up and says, where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. Where else would I go, Jesus? I don't understand what you just talked about. Man, that blows my mind. But I'm all in with you. I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. I hate parts of it. But you're changing my life. And I've seen you change lives. And I'm here with you. This heart penetrating question. So, why are you here? It, is it for the show? Nothing wrong with that. But maybe there's a deeper why. See, here's the deeper why of Jesus. Why he's here is because he wants to have a relationship with you. Period. That's why he's here. That's why he came. That's why he lived. That's why he gave up his life for you. That's why he stepped out of the grave to prove that you could have a relationship with God. That's why he came. So that you can have an ongoing relationship with him every day, Tuesday, Thursday, every single day of the week. That's his why. Maybe the second question is, are you all in? Are you all in as it comes to following Jesus? It's a challenging question. See, it's all about commitment, and we struggle with commitment in our culture. That's why every couple's counseling or coaching that I do, before people will stand, no one gets to an altar and says, I kinda, maybe, sorta. No one does that, do they? They show up at an altar to say, I do. The problem is, in our culture, we have a tendency to drift toward this contract-style commitment versus a covenant-style commitment that we see in the scriptures. What we see in the scripture is Jesus makes a covenant commitment to us, one that he cannot, will not, and will never break. He's 100% in. And what he's wanting, what he desires most, and for us to be 100% in, See, that's how great, healthy relationships work. You don't show up and go, well, I'll do my part. You better do yours. No one stands in an altar and says, well, I tell you what, I'll do these five things, you do those five things, we're gonna be okay, we'll have a great 20, 30, 40 year run. No, no, no. That's what you do with at and and Sprint and Verizon. Hey, you uphold your end of the bargain, you don't drop my calls, and I'll I'll pay my bill. You start dropping my calls, then we're done. I'll go somewhere else. That's our culture. And what Jesus is asking, I think, in this to find the relationship, is hey, are you all in? And what does that look like as you've been following Jesus for two years? probably different than it does when you've been following Jesus for 20 years. That's why DTRs need to happen all the time. They happen in your relationships. They need to happen in our spiritual journey. They need to get to the place where you say, okay, I'm gonna let go of that bitterness because you tell me forgiveness is a better route Even though I don't want to. Okay, God, you're going to be in charge. See, if you're the only person calling the shots for your life and you never consult God in that, or you never ask for his wisdom and his insight for that, and you're just driving the train, then friend, you may be a fan. Are you a fan? Are you a follower? See, followers, they do one important thing. You know what it is? (laughs) Take a wild guess. They follow. They don't lead. And in our culture, we are taught that you are the one to be the leader of your life. that doesn't mean you shouldn't take responsibility and, and go for everything that you have. You should. You've been given incredible talents and abilities. You should maximize those. But friend, you don't do it by yourself. And you're not the person who calls all the shots. That's what fans do. But Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to be a follower. I want you to follow me. I wanna lead your life. I want you to, what do he say? Deny yourself. I want you to pick up the cross That I'm going to give you, and I want you to follow me daily. Does that mean life's going to stink and it's a bummer? Because that sounds bummer. It sounds really heavy right now. No. Does it mean it's going to be a life filled with challenge? Yes. Does it mean convenience is always the preemptive thing that you pursue? Nope. It means it calls us to something greater. It calls us to say, hey, I want to work on this. And so Jesus real simply is saying, who do you say I am? Why are you here? Hey, and are you all in with me? Are, are there areas of your life that you're kind of keeping me at arm's length because you don't want me to mess with that? Then Then maybe by pure definition, you're not all in. If there's secret parts of your life that are closed off and locked up, then... Friend, you can look at that and make the same assessment I can, right? And so there's these moments where I think in scripture that it challenges us and Jesus is defining this relationship, you and him. And this is only between you and him. This isn't between you and the church, you and your person next to you. This is you and him and owning that. See, what we're gonna do in a second, I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna take communion, worship a little bit more as you have an opportunity to take communion, but if you just want to sit and relax, that's fine. But communion, the act of it, is a constant reminder to us that Jesus knew his why. Why he came, it was for you. It was for you and me to have a relationship with him that we couldn't manufacture on our own. He knew his why, and he certainly went all in to prove it, and to make a way for us to have a relationship with him. So when you hold that cracker, representing his body, broken and given for you, as you hold that juice and as you partake of that, remembering that he shed his blood on your behalf, the forgiveness of your sins, that you could have life with God through a relationship of trusting in him. That's the point. He knew his why. He went all in. And, friends, I think he's asking people today, hey, I didn't come here for fans, I think Jesus would say. I came here for followers because I have a mission and a movement that I need followers on, not just fans being around it. So I know it's challenging. And so, Father, as we wrap up, as we prepare our hearts to take communion, as we. Prepare our hearts to sing. This is heavy. It's been heavy all week. Gosh. Father, there's areas of my own life where I've settled, become way too content being a fan. God, there's areas in your church across our country, around our city where we've settled into being fans of you. We celebrate you and it's awesome. But we don't get behind the cause and the mission with everything that we've got would you forgive us of that? Would you call us to something greater? As we partake in communion, would you remind us that we're your why, why you came, and that you're all in in a relationship with us? We can't lose it. Even if we've taken U-turns and detours, we don't lose the grace and the hope and the love that you have extended to us. We've just walked away from taking it. So would you help us to take it again and allow that to fuel us to want to be a follower of you, giving our hearts and our lives and every area of our lives to you. As we worship you, as you stir our hearts to want to choose you most and most often. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.